Coffee House. We are talking the AI apocalypse. This is Sam Harris reading list. We're reading Super Intelligence by Nick Bostrom. Now, many have asked, why on earth would I be doing this? I am trying to collectivize everything that we've done so far as a species. I'm trying to get there, figure out all that we know in every avenue. So that's why I'm reading all the books from beginning to end, all the books out there. But now we have reached the end, the likely end of our species. Pandemics are one thing, but the AI singularity, the best thing that we can hope for, at least in my estimation, is to be an anthill that we hope to be stepped over instead of stepped on. However, Bostrom, he gives us some some nice warnings and things to think about in this very good, very dense <laughs> book about super intelligence. This was published in 2014. Again, it's written by Nick Bostrom and explores the dangers of machine general intelligence. So what's the content? Lots of content here way way too much content (laughs) because it's tough to do it in a little episode like this without going into each one like having an entire series a month's worth of episodes just talking about the individual concepts but we can't do that because i have video games to play so the preface talks about the major theme that once this super intelligence exists it will be impossible to stop that's an important thing to keep in mind and he cites which i love i always love it when people do this in their books an early systemic admission to a lack of certainty about any of this stuff. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much for putting that in there. You got my seal of approval for humility. He goes right into methods for building AI using multi-layered neural networks. I remember I was taking a class about this and it was like that that joke about (laughs) I think it was on the on the South Park where and you've seen this joke a million times where it was like phase one make shoes phase two something phase three be incredibly wealthy. So it's that that second part <laughs> that people really have the questions about and when I was looking at how these multi-layered neural networks work when you'd see the diagrams it was always like okay here's the first step and the second one we don't really know what happens and then the output is something great so it's that kind of there's an opacity in between but there are evolutionary models especially in things like chess they've got kind of an evolutionary model where you have some that are told the rules of chess and given fed a whole bunch of principles to follow you know no don't move your queen too early take toward the center those kinds of things develop your pieces don't move the same piece two times in the opening so it'll give these principles and say okay go ahead or it'll have a different tack where it just says just play a million games of chess and try to figure out what works and what doesn't so there are evolutionary models to ai as well he brings up bayesian inference from prior probabilities which i don't understand very well that's why i went the way i did so i could avoid math but i know dr Dr. Richard Carrier, he used Bayesian analysis to try to figure out whether Jesus existed or not. That was an awesome book. But for our purposes here, he brings it up, talking about AI and how the AI could figure stuff out. He talks about games and how so many computers are figuring out how to do the best possible at video games. So I think there were Atari games now that it worked its way up to. And AI was perfecting itself in Atari games. But there are things like chess, like we talked about, and other games that computers are working on 
on to be better than human players, the best human players. And obviously it's a big deal. I mean, I watch professional fighting games. And so you have to have, as a game developer, you have to figure out how to make AI that can fight human players at different levels. So it's it's an interesting use of AI. And there are other simple, achievable AI milestones, you know, things like that use simple algorithms like Siri, airlines, like email filters. I mean, I'm sure Siri isn't all that simple now, but Google search, you know, all these things, they're AI kind of simple in what they do. They just use an algorithm to figure out how this stuff works. But he makes a distinction, Bostrom makes a distinction between narrow and general intelligence when it comes to AI. So there's a narrow intelligence of an AI that can play a game, and there's general intelligence, which is a really scary one that could just do whatever. And touches on AI traders a little bit. I have at least one ETF that's managed by artificial intelligence because I like seeing how it reacts to the way that the people react to the what things happen in the market. There are numerous paths, possible paths to super intelligence. We know that evolutionary processes created the intelligence of humans already. That's something that already happened, so we know that's one path there. And he suggests that guided evolution should be faster when it comes to AI, although there are reasons to question <laughs> question that if we have ourselves meddling in the production of the AI as opposed to letting it happen naturally. I mean, it could evolve itself much faster if just left on its own to go through all these processes, the natural selection processes. But if our idiot primate brains are stepping in and trying to send it one direction or another, I don't know how much that'll help, honestly. He talks, he makes it clear that it doesn't need to resemble a human mind. The human mind can be its own thing, its own wet project over there while the AI does its own thing. He brings up whole brain emulations and efforts to do that and how modeling the bio brain is really difficult and that all the technology involved to be able to model or emulate the entire brain would be ridiculous how much technology you would need and goes into a bit of a discussion about biological cognition and how traits are selected for and embryos are selected and how you can use stem cells to amplify enhanced embryos and a really interesting idea actually here where he talks about how there's a huge benefit to having better people just in general if you just selected for people who are healthier just imagine the benefits that has to the healthcare system or people who are smarter and the benefits that has to the education system and you can weed out all these different things of course you're just flirting with eugenics there but still there are different ways to select for these things so there are simple methods just like selecting embryos rather than leaving it to chance you know just whichever embryo happens to be fertilized and this interesting tidbit that we are the stupidest biological species that are capable of building technology we are the dumbest ones <laughs> that are capable of building actual ai you don't see armadillos or chimpanzees making ai we are the dumbest threshold to be able to do this so you know if we were one of many and we were like a hundred up and there were 99 below us who are making ai but their ai sucked <laughs> and we're number 100 or whatever it would be a different situation but we're the dumbest possible biological species she's capable of making <laughs> making technology so we might want to be a little wary about that he talks about brain computer interface and how that's not likely close we have some small methods like to treat parkinson's but there are some pretty serious side effects related to that so far it's going to improve over time but we're pretty far off when it comes to that and there are so many interesting questions when it comes to, there's that word again there are so many great questions when it comes to this area so one one he raises here is whether you 
need a singular super intelligence to be able to figure all this stuff out as opposed to, you know, a bunch of little intelligences. A thousand mediocre writers would not be able to write In Search of Lost Time just by virtue of their number. They would still write really stupid mediocre stuff no matter how many of them there are working on this project. So do you need one singular intelligence to be able to get to this point as opposed to a bunch of collaborative intelligences to be able to do it? So one of the big questions is the timing and the speed of the takeoff. So when you get to that point where you can't turn back and he has some stuff to say about that, different ways that it could happen and how it's really difficult for humans to recognize the process of increase in intelligence and the AI intelligence. So it would be something like something could be extremely intelligent, but not be able to speak. And so we as humans, because we're idiots, would not necessarily understand that, that the level of intelligence that it has just because it's not doing the regular things that we attribute to intelligence. And there could be a, a sudden leap that we just didn't anticipate. And there's a question of whether it'd be a small group versus an, versus an individual person who figures this stuff out and creates the first general intelligence AI, and whether states would be involved or just the individuals or an individual. And he makes it very clear it's important not to put an anthropomorphic frame on what AI intelligence would be and how difficult it is just quantifying intelligence in general. So if the smartest human has a 220 IQ, you know, that just blows everybody else out of the water. What would an AI with an IQ of 6,000, what would that mean? What would that do for, for any of us trying to understand what that intelligence means? A little bit of nanotechnology talk and how figuring out protein folding through nanotechnology, how an AI could possibly do this. One good topic about how an AI, even if it was you know locked in place or something like that, how it could trick a human into who had an internet connection into helping it out. You know, it'd be like ex machina. <laughs> <laughs> where it's it just manipulates a dumb human to do stuff for it by sending it nudie pictures or something like that. <laughs> you know it's just it could absolutely happen and this idea of perverse instantiation so this is like the wishes you get with a genie and when you make a wish it always turns into something weird like you wish for all the money in the world and then the genie poof makes all the money in the world appear in your bank account or in your house or something that everybody's went down to zero figure out you have the money and then they burn you at the stake so it's it's that kind of a thing if an AI had a goal to maximize pleasure, then maybe it just grabs, takes everybody, puts them into concentration camps and implants electrodes into their brains that give them pleasure. Done. And then the big one, the big thing that I know that Bostrom is known for, the control problem that he brings up, and talks about how we must ensure that superintelligence has goals that are compatible with human survival and well-being. So this is the big idea that we have to be concerned about as this stuff's developing. And he gives some methods for trying to do this. There are different methods you can try to contain it you can try to limit it one of them is just physical confinement so you put it in a, in a place where it doesn't have access to anything outside there could be unanticipated vulnerabilities like the computer being able to manipulate its electrons to create a radio wave or something like that and we won't know about those until it's too late in most cases because the ai is already going to be able to think way faster than any of us can then there are incentive methods but incentive methods presuppose a balance of power between the ai and the person that you can just incentivize it to not go crazy and kill us all and there are stunting methods so you can limit the system you can limit the processing power you can limit access to information you could use trip wires not like literal trip wires so that eva or whatever from ex machina hits the trip wire and falls over and then you've solved it like these are these are like coding trip wires that you could use or uh, electricity trip wires or something like that technical stuff so there are areas where people might still be preferred things like sports 
who wants to watch a bunch of robots play sports. The arts, people might like they want natural foods. They want, might want to want to buy things that are the product of natural labor because they would have little imperfections and things like that that were more appealing. So that's an interesting. <laughs> I like that idea where you only shop natural labor. <laughs> You have to consider the cost of biological workers versus digital workers or emulated workers. You know, biological workers have to take time off. They need food. They need other energy. There's going to be downtime that they don't work even while they're at work. All that stuff. And emulated workers, you'd be able to just copy paste. Oh, there's another worker. There's another worker. And oh, this is super awesome. The whole question about sexual reproduction versus asexual reproduction. Because certain adaptations are going to create certain values. If you reproduce sexually, you have to get along with people. You you have to engage with people. You have to negotiate for resources. You have to deal with this whole pleasure, pain, give and take and compromise and all that stuff. But if you're producing, reproducing asexually, you don't have to do any of that stuff. You don't have to worry about any of that. So none of that is going to be inculcated into you as you're developing. So that's a question. Maybe you make AI that has to coordinate and has to compromise with either people or other AI to try to get somewhere. And that's just a fundamental aspect of their reproduction i don't i don't know but that's uh, such a cool <laughs> take on the on the question of how they're going to develop when it comes to an evolutionary method and then the morality models big deal here there's the coherent extrapolated volition model eliezer yudkowski from the machine intelligence research institute talked about this it has to do with uh, an argument that it wouldn't be sufficient to just program our desires into ai but we have to program the ai to act in our best interest so we we want it to do what we want it to do, not what we tell it to do. So it gets it gets really complicated for trying to translate. Just think about trying to talk to another person about what you mean about morality or whatever, and try to convert that into ones and zeros. It's really difficult and really complicated. So he's talking about how Yudkowsky is talking about how we need it to act in our best interests, and we need it to do what we want it to do, not some mistranslated version of what we tell it to do. And then Bostrom offers moral rightness as a competing method of getting to a moral AI and he talks about how AI may be better at determining what is objectively right so we might not want to rely on ourselves to try to figure out what's right but there are risks in that because what if it's not objectively right for us to be alive (laughs) or us to get to do anything or something like that. So there are competing uh, moral systems that you can put into different AI and you don't necessarily know the outcomes of these things. Then he goes into managing risks and how there's a race dynamic to these things, how difficult it is to program values, how AI could go in the background and change the values that it's programmed with because it makes sense in some way. Like it could rationally reduce the value that it puts on respecting the programmers and what the programmers put into it and just decide to ratchet that down so it could do something else a little better and who knows where that can go and he also brings up how it's a global risk this is something that's a risk to everybody so if everybody shares the risk maybe everybody should get the upside of this thing and there's there's some reasonable perspective in there of course it's it's certain people who are investing actually investing in it and we just hope they don't blow up the whole planet and people who are actually putting hours and hours and hours and their entire lives into this kind of stuff and other people who just play call of duty 
duty 24-7. So, I don't know. Then there's the question of collaboration, whether people will collaborate in developing this AI stuff, or whether it's just going to be that arms race where people are going to try to get that benefit for themselves. And he caps it all off, the little cherry that says, we're not ready. We're not ready for any of this stuff. And whether it's a decade, five years, ten years, fifty years, a hundred years from showing up, it's going to be a big problem when it shows up. And my analysis, I started writing an analysis, but there's... It's just too much. There's so much information in here to actually analyze. It's absolutely worth reading if you have any interest in this area. It's absolutely, to my estimation, one of the gravest concerns. I mean, obviously, we're in the midst of a pandemic right now, and we're having to deal with these indifferent viruses who are just trying to reproduce themselves. I really think long-term, the kind of apocalyptic risk that something like an AI poses, because we're becoming so connected and so reliant on these things, is much greater than anything that a pandemic could could risk. The one thing about pandemics and viruses and bacteria and that kind of thing is that if it's too deadly, then it kills people off too quickly before it gets to spread. So it's going to have this capacity where it has to take its time to some degree, and that gives us time to work on it. That gives us time to change our behavior. And then when we build herd immunity to it, then it's less effective, and then we don't have to worry about it so much, and we build, build vaccines and treatments and all that sort of stuff. So and the people who survive, obviously, by their very nature, are more likely to be resistant to it. So, but AI, you know, who the hell knows? It's just so beyond anything that we could possibly comprehend, any one of us, when it comes to the processing power, the things it would know versus not know, the ways it'd be able to manipulate us or manipulate resources to do different things. It would be so different. It'd be just categorically different. So I definitely, I'm on the train that suggests that it is a real concern and it may not be for us and our lives lifetimes, but it certainly will be for somebody soon. So anyway, on that cheery note, that was Super Intelligence by Nick Bostrom. Quality stuff. I enjoyed it a lot. And it will be great to see how kids who are coming up now who have much more access to computers and coding and all this, how they will respond to this kind of information and take an interest in this kind of information. But anyway, this was Last Coffee House. Thank you very much for listening. Hope all is well, and I will see you on the next one. Okay, bye. (laughs) 